Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, 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 Cardinal fans, to another exciting episode of the official Redbird Rants podcast. I'm your host tonight, and also contributing to this podcast, Tito Rivera, and joined tonight, I have Josh McDonald. Josh, how are you? Well, I'm watching the playoffs that the Cardinals aren't involved with, so I'm a little hit or miss. Yeah, it, man, I I was telling... I was telling Jen and my wife earlier today that, you know, it's one thing when the Cardinals are in the playoffs and it's just a complete Debbie Downer when they're not. And and then being not in the and them not being in the playoffs this year, you know, for the second time in a row, it just sucks. I mean, it, it really does. And, you know, everybody else is having a lot of fun watching the games and, you know, we're just sitting here with nothing to show for it. So, I think that says a lot about where yeah. we are as fans because really when you look at it, it could be worse. I mean, we could be the Braves right now. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, this is with the, you know, we got to take the season with maybe a grain of salt and saying, you know, we did end up with a winning season, but we missed the playoffs. But could you have, had you, could you imagine a scenario where, we had a losing season and we missed the playoffs. Yeah, that you know, a lot of things would have had to have gone uh gone very poorly for a lot of teams. Right. And and I think, you know, the Cardinals for a second, you know, you might have thought that they may not have actually, you know, bro- broke the 82 win barrier. Um but fortunately they did and they they were able to make it into the playoffs. And I do want to give a quick shout-out to my stepfather-in-law. It's his birthday today, so happy birthday to Chuck. Um, I know he listens sometimes, so happy birthday to him. So, Josh, we've got a nice show planned for today. We're going to go over some new updates, and including Cardinal News. Then we're going to talk about the reactions to the end of the season. And then I think which might be our biggest piece is our reaction to the end-of-the-season presser that John Mozeliak, Mike Matheny, and Mike Gersh were at. And then we'll also do playoff predictions, and we know that the game's going on, but we turned in early early submits to this, and so we'll give you what we think is going to happen in the playoffs, and we'll go over that, and we'll say why we chose them as the World Series winners. But... To kick it off, let's go ahead and move into our first topic, Josh, and it's St. Louis Cardinal news and updates. And one thing that I think has interested a lot of people is the firing of Derek Lilliquist. What's your thoughts on that? This one bothered me because if someone was going to be the scapegoat for this team, I can't say I understood it being Lilliquist. You know, when you look at the pitching this year, yeah, it had its ups and downs, but when you look at it as a whole, 
it was probably one of our better facets. Now that's speaking in terms of starting pitching because I put wholeheartedly the blame on the bullpen on Matheny. I think a combination of overuse and misuse led to that. And I think that Lilliquest became kind of the goat for this team that ended up having to take the short end of the stick when really he shouldn't have. You look at what kept this team in games a lot of the time was great performances from Waka and Lance Lynn, Carlos Martinez, not all year, but still very, very solid year for him. And then you had Luke Weaver come up and do a ton of damage in a short season. Wainwright was hurt. That's not on Lilliquist. And then you look at the bullpen. Matt Bowman looks at times like he's a shutdown reliever, but then he gets used five out of seven days. And then he looks like a guy who shouldn't be on a major league roster. So I'm not really understanding how they came to terms with deciding that firing Lilliquist was the right plan. I think a lot of people, if we're going to fire an assistant coach, I think a lot of people would have been a lot more okay with firing Mabry. I know I would have been. I think that that immediately improves the team, just depending on the hire. But I think it just shows where we are with Matheny's regime. I don't want to say it's about, you know, being Matheny's guy, you're going to be safe, but I don't know how you can look at it any other way. Yeah, and I find it very interesting because as soon as the announcement of Derek Lilliquist being, you know, essentially fired, but the the Cardinals would not renew his contract, you know, the immediate thought was, well, what about John Mabry? Uh, You know, he's the hitting coach. Our offense struggled mightily for a while. You know, we kept sending hitters back down because they obviously couldn't do anything better in in the major leagues and you know a lot of people put that blame on on Mabry and the way this is how I see it when a team says we're not renewing your contract um, that tells me one of two things the first is is that they obviously didn't see enough improvement from you know years in the past and, you know, think about 2016. Was our pitching great? No. 2015, we had that historic pitching across the board. But it has progressively gotten worse. Now, as you mentioned, you know, the starting pitching wasn't bad. It was really the bullpen that really suffered. And this is coming back to this old debate on, who do you put the blame on view? Is it the coach or is it the player for not performing? And, you know, at times I get stuck in it because, you know, ultimately the player has to perform, but at the same time the coach has to put that player in the, in the right position to, a, to be able to perform. Um, and that includes uh, Derek Lilquist by getting those pitchers ready to perform and making sure they have good stuff. Um, and so I, I see it that way. The second thing that comes to mind whenever I hear a team 
say, hey, we're not renewing their contract, is this move was planned a while ago. I, I don't think that the Cardinals came into this and, you know, at the end of the season were just like, you know what, <laughs> you know what, Derek, I'm sorry, but, you know, we're, we're letting you go. No, this was this was definitely planned for a while, I think, maybe over the last two months of the season. Josh, what do you think about that? I think that you're not wrong in that sense. They and they're not. They didn't just come into you know this week and say, "All right, what was something that that could have been better?" Mo Mo and Gersh, I assume, have a line of things that they are going to get done this year, and I think or this off season. And I think it started right around the trade deadline. I think that they really we're just kind of playing it by let's see what this team can do. Let's see what we have. Let's see who, you know, we like for the future, but they clearly didn't have any real intentions of making a run at the playoffs or they would have added somebody. So I think what they decided was make a change in the coaching staff. It may not, it may have taken some time for them to pan it down, but Lilliquist was, I guess, an easy one to get rid of. And then they have their list of, you know, who we're going to go after and all that sort of thing. But, yeah, there's there's no way they just came into this week and just decided that it was time to part ways with Lilliquist unless him and Matheny had a falling out that would is pure speculation that, you know, maybe they finally just came to a disagreement on how things are being handled. I don't know. That's not a rumor I want to get started. It's just, you know, pure speculation at this point. Right. And I think it's a little telling, and maybe this is where the BS kind of came out on this, uh, or at least that's how I felt with it, was that when when John Mosaic said, you know, we're not moving in the right direction in terms of using the, essentially using the analytics to what they're supposed to be used for, in pitching and not, and, you know, they wanted to move to somebody that would use that, would help them with that data and, and would, would fine tune that data. Did you get the sense that that was just the biggest crock of BS that you've heard in a really long time? That wasn't the first thing that came to my mind in that situation. The first thing that came to my mind was what is the point in hiring someone who is going to focus so much on the analytics when your manager doesn't pay attention to that stuff and uses guys in the most ridiculous ways in the bullpen. I don't care who you hire. You could hire the best analytics guy for as a pitching coach, but unless Matheny's going to improve his ability to use the bullpen properly, I don't see how that matters. Right. And I find your comment on Matheny even more hysterical because, you know, we just saw – you know, a press a press release by the Mets saying that they were looking for a guy like Mike Matheny who would dive into the analytics or something like that. So, <laughs> to me, that it just it just makes me laugh that all of a sudden analytics is is that big of a deal to the Cardinals when at times it feels like they're neglected by the Cardinals. Um, especially for those of you who, you know, who are firmly on the Tommy Pham should be playing center field all, to- all the time and Dexter Fowler should be playing in left field. 
um, or you're the person that says, uh, you know, Matt Carpenter should only be batting leadoff because his OBP is uh, just thousand times better than anywhere else, which is true. But it just, again, it just speaks to me that there obviously was some dissonance in this organization this year. And I think the Cardinals, you know, is Derek Lilliquist a, a scapegoat for the Cardinals? Maybe. Or scapegoat, sorry. Um, but at the end of the day, the pitching the pitching was not progressing. And I agree with Mo on this, that the the pitching as a whole was getting worse over the last couple of years and there wasn't really any improvement anywhere. I mean, let me ask you this, Josh. Should Carlos Martinez be 11-11? Well, no, not not even remotely. That's that's just one of those things. But at the same time, I don't – I think that we buy into the whole – Win loss thing a little too much. I know. And, I know that you don't as personally, but I and I think it's a good talking point. But I think that that worrying about win loss has always been something that has been a little bit ridiculous because how much can a pitcher really control when you look at like Lance Lynn who couldn't who couldn't buy run support for a while? That's not on him. Yeah, and 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 the problem with. And the reason why I bring that up, though, is because we talk about the immaturity and we talk about all this other stuff with Carlos Martinez. Well, where is Derek Lilliquist in this conversation? Where is he? I mean, that's that's what your coach is supposed to do, help coach you through those immature moments and make sure that you can, you know, get the job done. And time and time again, we see it kind of fall on, you know, fall on its head. And so I, I just personally think if if there was something to be done today, yes, John Mavery might have been the first person to go in my book too. But Derek Lilliquist was somebody in the back of my mind that, you know, maybe this was the right time to do it. Maybe this was something that, that needed to be done. So it's it's tough, but at the at the same time, I completely understand why that why they did it. Um, other cardinal news that we can get to, you know, they also will not renew the car or uh, the contract of of the I guess it was uh, bullpen coach Isley. Um, and I, you know, texted you and said who who the heck is that? And I didn't even know who, who that was. So I mean, I guess it's not that much of a shocker, right? No, you you have to assume if they're getting rid of the the pitching coach, then Somebody the bullpen coach doesn't really doesn't really have much of a role unless they really like him. Um, right. Just before we before we keep moving on, I do want to throw in one more thing about the the bu- hiring a bullpen coach. They talked about the analytics stuff. That's great. Be smarter with what you have. But if they don't make a concerted effort to hire someone who has a history of developing young pitching and making them into top-line starters, I do not see a point in the hire because 
you see what we have coming. We saw part of it this year. Luke Weaver, Jack Flaherty, Alex Reyes, Dakota Hudson, Carlos Martinez still. They have a lot of young pitching. And if they don't find someone who can handle that, then this kind, this kind of move is all for naught. Yeah, uh, and I agree. It's it'll be an interesting it'll be an interesting choice because I think whoever becomes the pitching coach will have a firm you know firm say in who that bullpen coach is, and I think you know that that can be that we can put that to bed right there. So let's go ahead and move on to some other cardinal news. Um, Maybe not so many people know about this, but Moises Rodriguez has now been named the assistant general manager. And the only reason I bring this up is because it's funny to me to see Moselock and Gersh, how they interact. It still feels like Gersh is the general manager. <laughs> and I mean, Moselock is the general manager and Mike Gersh is kind of still the assistant GM. So for Gersh now to have an assistant GM, it just it just kind of makes me laugh. What do you think? Ooh, ouch. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw Gary Sanchez. Um, yeah, um, I unless we could get a more in depth understanding into the relationship between Gersh and Mo and Gersh's everyday sort of tasks that he's going for going with during the day um you just have to think that the title is kind of just by name only i mean from everything we've seen it just looks like this is mo's team regardless of who's in the gm spot now i realize being the president of baseball operations and whatnot is essentially still a similar role just more impressive of a title, a little bit more roles when it comes to the team as a whole, just kind of the brand of the Cardinals. But I just don't know what Gersh does. And we talk about it in our group on on Twitter between the writers, and it's always a big deal when we actually hear Gersh speak. Right. And and today when he spoke again, I think there was like an outcry on, you know, Cardinals Twitter saying, oh, my gosh, he actually has a voice or, oh, my gosh, he was finally asked a question. So um, it it is interesting, um, but you can only hope for the best for, for Moises Rodriguez as he assumes his new role. And, you know, I, I did a little digging and he is supposed to, you know, he was elite. He's one of the director of scouting. For, uh, for our international players, especially in the Latin American countries uh, between Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. You know, he's credited for finding Alex Reyes, you know, Carlos Martinez, and even Magnera Sierra. So the guy has an eye for players. So I want to get your thoughts on, on what I just kind of commented on and, and how that could help in an assistant GM role. Yeah, you know, the Cardinals have had some real luck with promoting from within – you look at what Jeff Lunau did and being our scouting director and then now what he's done with the Astros. And then you look at Mo and Gersh coming up through, through, you know, the ranks here. Um, they, it's just kind of like an impressive funnel of talent that they have. And the names you listed off for him are absolutely stellar. You're finding gems 
in in these Latin countries, which is where you kind of need to do that because there's only so much you can do in the draft because you you could people see the guys in the draft all the time, but when you find a gym that's playing in Puerto Rico or the Dominican or Cuba, those guys have shown to be real game changers, especially because they're not set along the same contract regulations. Like you look at what they did getting Carlos Martinez, given that was a lot thanks to a, you know, a mishap by the Red Sox. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, you cannot downplay the importance of a role like that. And I think that that's something that the Cardinals really need to focus on is international players, because that seems to be where the market has shifted a little bit, because you hear every single year about how incredible the market is for these guys, the money that's getting poured out for these guys. And it's not an easy thing to do. So having a guy like that cannot hurt. And I really hope the best for him. I hope he can continue to help find these guys because his role is going to be lesser now in that market, but hopefully we can hold on to him because I'd, I'd really like to hold on to these talented scouts and whatnot and not have them poached by other teams. Yeah. And I, and I think where his, where his, you know, benefits are going to shine through is with player acquisition. He's going to know, I mean, if anything, this guy's going to know what prospects are coming out of that area and where they've gone to with certain teams. And he's going to know if, for instance, the Cardinals decided to trade Matt Carpenter to a team, if there's a, a Latin prospect that, you know, he was super high on, you can bet your butt the Cardinals are going to say, hey, what about this guy? What what would it take to get him? You know, and, and you saw the, the Cardinals make a – well, we think make a concentrated effort for Luis Robert earlier this year. You know, they've tried to do these things in the past. They've tried to get Latin players in the past. But, you know, oftentimes they end up losing out because of one thing, and it's and it's money. But you heard John Moselak say it today, and, and we'll kind of get to this a little bit later. I don't want to spoil all the fun. But the, he said it himself. They have resources whether that's in prospects or position players now or even money, he said it. They have resources. So in my opinion, there really is no other – there's no excuse, in my opinion, for, for the Cardinals not to keep tapping into this. Uh, the only market that they don't really tap into is the Asian market. And, and granted, not a lot of players from Asia do come over to the major leagues, not, especially from the KBO or even the Japanese league. So it's and it's a little harder without having that kind of population in the city of St. Louis either. So there's not really any attraction there. But you know, I would wonder if the Cardinals maybe would consider uh, looking at that uh, Otani guy, who apparently is the next Babe Ruth uh, from the Japanese league, being able to pitch and hit. So what are your thoughts on that? I'm sure they looked into Otani, um, but then. With what happened last year with the overspending in the market, they're limited to only being able to sign for 
uh, I believe the max is $400,000 a person. And right. Otani will be more than that, for sure. Just blowing past that. Uh, I really do wish we were in a position to bid on Otani because you look at the guy's stats, it's unbelievable what he can do. Right. Given some whatever team gets him is going to have to make a tough decision because when you look at his scouting report, everybody thinks he could be either a starter or a position player in the on at the major league level. I hope somebody gets him not in the NL, uh not especially not in the NL Central, you know, keep him away. But I want to see someone get him and be creative. I think that's something baseball could really use. But no, I don't I I think that their their scouting of Otani was probably just general. They didn't get too into specifics because they knew that the money wasn't going to be there, right? And and I and I agree. I think baseball could use a player like him because, man, could you imagine the hype surrounding him? I mean, I can see, I can foresee him either being in New York with the Yankees or uh, the Dodgers in Los Angeles, and so you know that's you know that's going to be a very very you know watched player as free agency comes. So we'll get we'll probably talk about him again, but as you said, the Cardinals probably aren't in a position to really go after him. So we're going to take a quick break. It's going to be the first of uh, two breaks. So stick with us. You're listening to the official Red Rants podcast. Hang on. Welcome back to the official Redbird Rants podcast. I am Tito, joined by Josh, and we just got done talking about some official Cardinal news and some stuff from the presser. Um, but what we're going to get into now uh, for the next 20 minutes or so is our reactions to the end of the season and, and really just a, a general sense of the season overall. Um, so, Josh, this is, where, this, is, this is a little tough for me because once the Cardinals were eliminated, um, I wrote a piece. And I took a day, about a day and a half, to really absorb what happened throughout this season. And and I came down to a conclusion. And that conclusion was, if the Cardinals are going to compete in 2018, their divisional play has to be a thousand times better than what it was this year. I mean, it was just so horrendous that it just it really hurt I mean it just really really hurt the Cardinals in the long run and and I want to get your opinion on what you thought of the divisional play this year with the Cardinals well there's not a whole lot to say outside of just putrid they couldn't take care of teams they should have, and they weren't competitive against teams they needed to be competitive against. That's a problem. You have to be competitive against teams like the Cubs and the Brewers, and you have to manhandle a team like the, the Reds. That There's no excuse for what we saw this year because this team showed at times how much talent it had. It went on these streaks that were impressive, but really never against division teams. You can't be so far under 500 
against divisional opponents. They made it better at the end of the year a little bit, but then their play against the Cubs and Cubs and Pirates to end the year might have actually brought that back down to uh, abysmal numbers instead of just bad. But that's the main thing that has to improve when it comes to record. They they showed they can compete with others. They showed they can beat with the Nationals and the Diamondbacks, two playoff teams right now. They showed they can compete with them, but they couldn't come come to play against their own division. That that was tough. Yeah, and and this is something that I wrote about again. And here's a stat for you, Josh, and I kind of want to get your opinion on it. If you take out the divisional record of the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Brewers, the Cardinals had a 49 and 37 record. The Chicago Cubs had a 46 and 40 record, and the and the Brewers had a 46 and 40 record at the time. What does that tell you? Yeah, a lot of this really just blows my mind. Honestly, like that's the that's the one thing that comes that comes to the top of my head. Just pure confusion, really, because this team was kind of an enigma all year. I don't I don't really know how to put into words what we saw from the from their play like that because when you see the product on the field against other teams, it was competitive and there was fire. But then you would see them go down early in these divisional contests and there was no fire. I don't I don't understand the uh, overall lack of play against those those terribly important teams to beat. I that's something I will never understand. I can't get into the mind of the players that because I don't know that they even understand it. So it's really a, it's really a quandary. Yeah, and, and I'll be honest, ten and nine against the Reds this year, not good enough. Eight and, or eleven and eight against Pittsburgh. Not good enough because I'll tell you what, if you even go look at the Reds and Pittsburgh's divisional record, it's as good as the Cardinals and the Reds were even better than the Cardinals. <laughs> that's, how, that's how bad it was. That's how poor division play the St. Louis Cardinals had this year. And there's no denying it because you look at what they did against the Cubs, 5-14, and 14, the exact amount of games – that they were out of first place, nine. Oh, hey, look, nine losses, nine more losses to the uh, to the Cubs there. So, you know that that just again it just proves to me that, in my estimate, I guess, and there are plenty of other reasons why the Cardinals were so bad this year in terms of overall quality of play. But losing that many games in your division you won't make the playoffs. And it's as simple as that. You just won't make the playoffs. And, and sure, you – and even if you did have a losing record against your division, you better have a hell of a record against everyone else. But, you know, a, you know being 49 and, uh, and 37 wasn't going to cut it. You know, that's only – that's 12 games above 500. You might as well say that you needed to be uh, 20 games above 500 at that point to compensate for all the losses that you have. And so, uh, 
you know, this this division was there for the taking this entire year. The Cubs, you know, I I have them going very far in the playoffs. Actually, I have them reaching the World Series, and that's because they're playing the hottest baseball right now. But they were easily beatable. The Cardinals could have taken care of business, but they they just couldn't do it. So that, that that's the toughest part for me. So let's let's move on to to what you thought this season came down to. What your reaction is out of this season? I think the the main reaction is just change. Change is needed in all facets. I mean, there's only a couple positions that I would say lock that in next year because I think that. The bullpen, for one, unfortunately, you're flooding in Brett Peeple. He's got a lot of money on that contract. No one's going to take that. You're not going to take the loss on that. It's too big of a contract. Slot him in, you have to. Resign Nicasio. After that, and probably Tyler Lyons, I don't think that a single spot in that bullpen should be guaranteed to anybody. I think Yachty deserves a guaranteed spot. Sam deserves a guaranteed spot. Probably Colton Wong and the young. And then you look, the the pitching staff has a lot to, you know, figure out who's going to be where, but you got to keep the young guys. Outside of that, there's who's playing third base. What's the outfield going to look like? What is Wainwright's role? Who are our five starters? Is the young a, a shortstop going forward? Who's our first baseman? Is Matt Carpenter on the team? There's so many questions and so much change that's needed. It's not even funny. That Gersh and Moe have a big, big, big offseason ahead of them. Yes, and it, and it sounds like to you, your reaction really is, is well, what next? You know, we're done with the season, but there's so many questions that, you know, we as fans still have that we're not even sure what's going to get done at this point. Is that kind of what I'm sensing from you? Yeah, it's it's honestly, baseball is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of sport. You see guys get let go just on on a dime. It's There's really no – story behind it usually like unless you can just see a guy struggling like crazy a guy can get booted in an instant so you have to set up a roster Mo and Gersh that is far better than what we saw this year and to prove to everybody like hey this we're committed to putting a good team on the field that started the day the season ended I don't I, I understand you know taking some time and looking at the season, but there's not a lot to look at. You just have to go out and get ready, make changes, improve this team for next year, or there's going to be some real questions about the leadership on this team. And and I completely 100% agree with you with that last comment, you know, and, and we're going to talk about guaranteed spots a little later because Mo made a really, really interesting comment about, uh, any guaranteed spots for the roster or for playing positions next year. And I found his answer very, very, 
I don't know, concerning or questionable might be the, the word word for it, but we'll talk about that a little later. But here's the thing. When it comes to all the questions that you have for the Cardinals, you know, at this point, there is no other choice but for Moselock and Gersh and DeWitt because he, you know, he is part of the leadership of this team to put up or shut up. You know, there is no other option besides that because the Cardinals, you know, he and they said it themselves today, the Cardinals missed the second, you know, missed the playoffs for the second year in a row, and that's not acceptable to them. Missing the playoffs really shouldn't be acceptable in any case. And so the fact that they've missed it two, two years in a row at the hands of seeing your rival, your biggest rival, go to the playoffs and win the division two years in a row, that's got to hurt. And not only that, but you're falling, you know, you fall to third place beneath a Brewers team that wasn't expected to compete at all this year. Change is needed. There is there is no doubt about that. Change is needed big time for this team. And unfortunately, they just have a bad, you know, they've had a bad two years, and they haven't been able to get deals done. David Price deal doesn't get done, although that's in hindsight now with his injury. We can't land anybody at the trade deadline last year. Can't land anybody at the trade deadline this year. Then we make a move in September for Juan Nicasio. For what? You know, obviously he made it interesting with some saves, and that's great. And maybe he signs with the Cardinals, but maybe. It's not a guarantee. So, you know, this this leadership team has struggled at times to make, you know, pay off the dividends, essentially, of the fans, of being loyal fans to the end and and seeing our team win. And so I think there is some pressure that they're feeling right now. And I, and I don't know about you, but I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say they they probably make two or three pretty big moves um, this year. What do you think? Um, You know, you talked about Mo making an interesting comment. I know which one you're referencing, but he made another one that I thought was fairly telling. And to your point about um, the making multiple moves, he did say, and this is a direct quote, I don't know if you have to have two, but one would help in reference to getting impact bats. I don't know if that's downplaying it, just not trying to get hopes up in case something gets, doesn't get done, but I really hope that's not the mindset. I don't want them to settle for one and think, okay, this team's ready. I understand that if you bring in a Giancarlo Stanton or a Josh Donaldson, that is a complete game changer that could completely change the entire layout of the team. But this team isn't one player away. If you think this team's one player away, you weren't really paying attention. There's too many holes. So I hope that they do, like you said, make two or three moves to improve this team because one is not getting it done. 
Yes, and, and and on that note, let's go ahead and take our second break. And when we come back, we'll go ahead and dive into that uh, Mosaic presser just a little bit in further detail. Stick with us. You're listening to the official Redbird Rams podcast. Okay, welcome back to the official Redbird Rants podcast. I'm Tito, and Josh is with me here tonight. And we are going to go ahead and dive into the Mosaic Presser this afternoon with Mike, Ger- Mike Gersh and Mike Matheny present as well. And, Josh, you know, you and I talked about it a little bit this afternoon. And the first question I asked you was, how did you feel about that presser? And your answer was what? Um, I don't, I, I believe you asked me twice today and I don't remember my exact answer, but I don't think my original answer is appropriate. Um, <laughs> uh, well, just, you just, I'll, like, I'll let you know, you, you pretty much said it was a bunch of BS to you. It, it is a bunch of BS. I mean, it's talking points. It's talking points. It's talking points. That's what we get. And I understand that that's the whole point. You're not going to divulge all the secrets of what you talked about. You're just going to give the base layer to the fans so they understand that moves are being made and more planned. Okay, I get that. But at the same time, it's the same generic stuff we always get. It's the, we want to be better. This wasn't acceptable. We have big plans for this team. We know we have the talent. Stop me if, you have, if you've heard this before. You know, I'm in, I'm in a position now where I'm just, it's hard to pay attention to those. Whenever I saw that there was a press conference today, I said, oh, wow, because I was just like, something's mm-hmm. coming. But, of course, let down, end of season uh, press conference, which I get. It's a moratorium on the year, just kind of a final thing. And and you can answer this one, you know, your dis- counterpointing or whatever. But every time Mike Matheny is in one of these, he always has the same look on his face. And it's never one of, like, enjoyment. It's always one that looks like, man, I'd rather be here, be somewhere else, or, like, I really have to poop. I just haven't (laughs) nailed it down. And I, I just, I don't like these. And I know they're, like, a requirement for teams to do, but... I really just think they're pointless. Until something big is going to happen, I don't know that they're necessary because all of that could have been done in an interview with Mo by somebody, and the Lilliquist news could have been done in a press release. Having the show and the show and bringing everybody out was kind of anticlimactic for me, unless you're really going to get some big news in there, and they didn't. Yeah, but here's the thing. I'm actually going to disagree with that last statement you made, and I actually think there was some worthy news uh, or bits of information out of that. But I I first want to address, you know, my initial reaction to the press conference and the presser. And (laughs) I'll be honest, you know, you're not wrong. It, It is the typical stuff that we see normally. However, I was kind of looking for a little bit more anger. You know, I was kind of looking for a little bit more fire from, you know, the front office and saying, you know, we should be in the playoffs and it sucks that we're not in it. And and I didn't really get that. 
And and I'm not saying that they weren't upset because, you know, I'm sure Mike is probably saying, man, we should have really been there had I, you know, made a, a little bit more moves or had we played a little better. But I think there was something interesting in there that I want to get to now. And you kind of briefly mentioned it. We kind of briefly mentioned it. And it was Mosellock saying that the only guaranteed spot on this team goes to none other than the greatest catcher of this generation, Yadier Molina. What were your exact thoughts on that comment? I think now first, my first initial thought was that comment and another comment were kind of slaps in the face to Tommy Pham. And they weren't meant that way, but they really came off that way. Because they said that there wasn't an all-star talent on the team this year. And I right. understand that that probably wasn't the right word that they meant. There wasn't a superstar talent on this team. Tommy Pham put up all-star numbers. And if Tommy Pham started the year up with the team out of spring training, we're talking about him in the MVP conversation if he keeps his stats up throughout the year. Because his numbers were incredible, especially for a guy who started the year in AAA. And then to say he doesn't have a guaranteed spot on the team next year, that's a little ridiculous. But I understand the sentiment. It's saying like, hey, what we've seen the last two years is unacceptable. We need to be a winning team. We're going to do whatever we can to kind of take this team in the right direction, which I think is kind of a contrast to his statement about potentially only needing one impact bat, but and that's here nor there. I think it's interesting. I think it was overkill, but I understand the whole point. Yeah, and you know, I think we're we're also forgetting Colton Wong in this conversation because let's be honest, do we do do either of us really think that Colton Wong won't be the starting second baseman for the Cardinals next year? Oh, absolutely not. He was incredible when healthy, and I think that's going to be a focus for him this year uh, is just improving, it's, it's you know, healthy, his body. Right? Yeah, I think that, yeah. that's going to be a focus for him, and I don't think that there's any possible way he's not starting at second base on opening day. Right, and and, it, and if I'm Mosellock, leaving Colton Wong out of that, I don't think necessarily sends the wrong message to Colton Wong. I think Colton knows – that, hey, I had a really good year um, because look look what happens when you actually hit the ball and get on base and do what you're supposed to do. Nobody talks bad about you. Um, but he had a great year. He's going to be the starting second baseman, so I, I, I don't understand why he would say that. Unless, <laughs> unless Mosellock is interested in trading him. And, and potentially moving Matt Carpenter back to second base. I mean, that's where I think where your point earlier from all these questions comes in, is that when Mosellock says something like that to the effect of, well, now I don't know who's going to be in the outfield. Well, I don't even know who's going to be playing second base when it's pretty obvious who should be playing second base. But all of a sudden you, you make a comment like that and you're kind of thrown into the air. So uh, to me, it's it's difficult to really understand why he would say something like that, especially when you know 
you've had players perform well this year, especially Tommy Fan and Col- Colton Wong. And don't forget, Dexter Fowler didn't play poorly this year. Now, defensively, he may have had some lapses in judgment, and I definitely criticized him for one in Pittsburgh. But offensively, he was still pretty good. You know, he tied his um, uh, home run, a career home run high. So, I mean, to say that even Dexter Fowler isn't getting a starting spot, I, I, I think maybe you're right in a sense that maybe that wasn't the way he was interpreting it. Or maybe that's how we are interpreting it. But come on. You know that's just, you know that's adding fuel to the fire. Am I wrong? Oh, absolutely not. And, you know, speaking of Dexter, I thought he made an interesting comment about about him, and I'm sure you remember it, when he was asked about guaranteeing Dexter playing yeah. center field, which goes right to his defensive thing, is that I – I don't. The only guarantee I remember making was for a lot of money. So I thought that was funny for one, but that I think it does, be- you know, send a message. That was the best line in the entire presser. The best line in the entire presser. And and yes, it, it definitely. Uh, you know, I'm sure Mosaic is just like kind of playfully saying that. Um, but at the same time, I also think that he's being serious. And. You know, I defended Dexter Fowler earlier this year, and I still will. I, you know, I, I, I will defend him. And I think Dexter Fowler wants to play center field. But apparently he said midseason, hey, I'll play wherever they want to play me. I don't remember him saying that, do you? I actually remember the exact opposite. Right, right. I, I remember him saying they signed me to play, uh, to play center field, so that's what I do. And, and so that's what I'm saying. It's like those kinds of comments, you know, make me wonder if something bigger is in the works here and we're just so naive and we're so, you know, dumb to the fact that Mosellock and Gersh have actually been pulling strings this entire time. Because let me be honest with you, if there was a way to move Dexter Fowler, would you do it? I think it depends on the return. Um, because I don't if know he was that pa- I... If he was packaged for a starter, would you do it? A, a good starter, would you do it? That tears me a little bit because as much as I like, you know, Harrison Bader and Magnair Sierra, I would rather them not have to take over a Dexter Fowler role but take over like a Stephen Piscotty role. I, I, I'm just saying. I think you know. I think that nothing there is surprise. some truth. Yeah, I know, and I think that's what kind of Mosaic is getting to in some of his other comments. You know, saying that yo, you're not. We're not going to play our hand or on anything like that. Well, of course you're not going to, but at the same time, these are valid questions. And, and, again, it speaks to exactly what you were talking about earlier this this show, is that even when the season ends and you think, you know, hey, let's just pack up and forget about what's going on, here you are with 10 billion questions in every direction the Cardinals can go, and we just don't really have any idea. And so I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that, Dexter Fowler 
is on the trade market. But again, you have to realize he also has a full no trade clause, and so trading him is is probably a foregone conclusion. And he has a guaranteed spot on this team unless somebody ends up taking him. So I, I think that's that's fair to say. Now I do want to get to one more comment before we go ahead and get into our playoff predictions, and that was a comment made by or question by one of the reporters there, you know, talked about Lance Lynn. And Mosaic's comment kind of was strange. It wasn't committal in any direction. It was, hey, well, we'll see what we, we have to do. We'll do what we have to do kind of attitude. What, what did you make of that? I can't make heads or tails of the Lance Lynn situation. I, I can't get even a remote idea if I think they're going to extend him a qualifying offer because there just does not seem to be any sort of commitment or any sign of interest from the front office to try and work something out there. And I'm not surprised just based on what we what we know is coming and what we've seen this year from young guys. But I do think that Lynn's kind of getting a raw deal and I think he deserves a little bit better. But at the same time, I get wanting to save money. Yeah, and, and saving that money could go to, you know, for instance, if they ended up actually getting John Carlos in, that money would be spent there um, in a wise acquisition, I might add. But at the same time, I could understand why the Cardinals would want to. And, you know, I've written about it. And, again, I, I fall on the same premise of, if they weren't going to sign him to an extension or offer him a qualifying offer, um, why not trade him? Why didn't they trade him at the trade deadline? Uh, and it just keeps – it continues to baffle me that it would end up like that. So uh, more on that is going to develop, obviously, as the playoffs go on. I'm sure we'll hear a couple things, but, you know, the Cardinals will have time to negotiate with Lance Lynn after the World Series is over. They'll have about five days to do so. And so that is where we're going to leave that conversation. And we're going to go ahead and jump into our playoff predictions. Josh, let's start with you. Who did you have coming out of the AL? And give us how many games you predicted each round to go. Uh, I found myself struggling a little bit just based on the pure talent that I see from a team like Houston. But I went ahead and went with the team that was in it last year and really did nothing but improve when you look at bringing in Edwin Encarnacion. I think that the Indians will make a return to, to the World Series. I think they're going to have to knock off the Astros in the uh, – AL championship after the Astros knock off the Red Sox. And I don't really see the Indians having too much trouble with the Yankees. I believe I said four games against the Yankees and six games against the uh, Astros to get through. So I'm, I'm predicting the Indians to return to the world series this year. Yeah, so so for everybody listening, Josh has the Yankees winning tonight, and they look like they may do that. 
Um, they have he has them playing the Indians, and you said the Indians were going to win in four, and then you had the Astros beating the Red Sox in five, and then you had the Indians beating the Astros in seven. Okay, let's go ahead and switch over to your NL, and what do you have there? This one was tough because I think that the NL has found its top teams not exactly where they want to be. Uh, the Dodgers with poor play and the Nationals with just injuries. But the Nationals have gotten Bryce Harper back, and I am choosing them as my team to make it out of the NL and go to the World Series. Um, I I do not have them struggling too much uh, against the Cubs because I do not buy into the Cubs as someone that can make it again this year. I think they had, they just had everything going for them last year, but that's not the case this year. Their pitching isn't as strong and their hitting isn't exactly where they want it to be. So I got them rolling through the Cubs and then uh, the Dodgers right after that, which that one, that one hurt a little bit because I really do think the Diamondbacks will take take care of the uh, the Rockies tomorrow and give the Dodgers a real run for their money. And 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 for everybody listening in, that's Diamondbacks over Rockies tomorrow. Then he has the uh, Dodgers beating the Diamondbacks in five. Nationals beating the Cubs in five, and then he has the Nationals beating the Dodgers in six, and so he has the Indians and Nationals taking or Indians and Nationals in the World Series. And, and who is your winner, Josh? Who is your World Series winner? I got the Indians uh, taking care of business this year against the Nationals. Nice. Great. So let's go ahead and I'll give you guys mine. Um, I have the Rockies beating – or the D-backs beating the Rockies. I think the D-backs are, are the clear hottest team in the NL right now, and J.D. Martinez is a, is a huge difference maker for this. And I actually have the D-backs beating the Dodgers in five games. I also have the Cubs beating the Nationals in five games. Outside of the D-backs – the Cubs are actually playing really great baseball. They're finding their groove offensively, and if they do that, they're going to be very hard to stop. It doesn't matter who's pitching. Uh, luckily, though, the, the Nationals have somebody named Max Scherzer. Um, but I have the Cubs beating the D-backs in seven, and so they move on to the World Series for the second year in a row. On the AL side, I have the Yanks winning. I have Cleveland beating them in four. And then I have Houston beating Boston in five. And then I have Cleveland beating Houston in seven for a rematch of the World Series from last year. And then I have Cleveland winning in six games this year. No more blowing the 3-1 lead, I think. I think they'll get it done and take care of business. Um, and so that's where I feel like the playoffs are going to go. Um, I want to thank Josh for tonight. Thank you for joining me and stepping in for Dr. Miles. Hope he's feeling better. If you're listening now, make sure to catch us next time. We'll have our shows on at Tuesday. Thank you for a great night, and thank you for a great season, St. Louis Cardinal fans. We will catch you next Tuesday. Have a good night.